Good day, all. Welcome to the Powerhouse Perspective, empowering leaders for business breakthroughs. If you haven't joined us previously, I'm Scott Medeiros, president of Helmwise, and this is Chandler Rose, the CEO of the Rosewood Family of Companies. Over the past five podcasts, we've covered a variety of different subjects and areas. We started out with knowing yourself. We've been using the C metaphor, so we call the individual who leads a business a captain. So knowing yourself as a captain of a ship or of a business. We also talked about knowing the ship or the organization. We've talked about the importance of values and the need to have a North Star to guide your ship to its destination. We've also talked about analyzing your crew along with yourself to see if there's any gaps between where you currently are and where you want to go. And we've also been kind of transitioning into making decisions. But when we make decisions, there are a lot of things that we have to consider. And there's a subject that we want to talk about today before we embark on our very first journey towards our first destination. And that subject is neurochemistry. Because neurochemistry affects how we think, how we perceive things, how we analyze things, and more importantly, how do we make decisions. So Chandler has had an extensive amount of background in this particular area. He's going to walk us through a learning and understanding of how neurochemistry can make us better captains and better leaders of our organization. So Chandler, where would you like to start? Well, the basic premise is the reason I've been involved in that. So studied psychology in undergrad, started with uh, Cialdini, and then have continued to follow it throughout my career because I want to make sure that I understand what factors I may, not, I may not consider that influence how I make a decision. And so am I actually making a decision that is wise and well thought out? And so that goes beyond the data yes. in front of you, goes beyond you know, even talking with your team, talking with those around you. And there are things internally that impact how you make a decision, um, the amount of research you're willing to do into a decision, um, really how you weigh that out. Um, and so it's, it's important to understand that and where that can hinder or help in kind of decision-making process. So when you, you think about it, we're going to narrow down really and focus on dopamine, um, oxytocin, and serotonin. The big three. Um, the big three. The big three for sure. Um, and so serotonin is one that I like to start with. And, and so there's a book we have here in front of us that I think does a great job of laying that out. And that's the, the science of positivity. Um, and so that is uh, Loretta Bruning, uh, PhD. She put this book out a while back. It's certainly one I would suggest you read. Um, and she, she goes through and lays out on the premise of a lot of these chemicals have evolved over time like humans, and they really played a very important role when we were in nature, out in the wild, or um, play a big role um, in your background in the military of survival. And so a lot of chemicals in your brain that were geared to keep us alive, to uh, draw us towards grouping as a um, you know, a species, reproduction, safety, um, gathering food, all those things can get a little bit sideways when they move into the modern world. Uh, because in the modern world, we are not faced with daily threats that are literally going to impede our ability to find a mate in the wild. And so imagine being out in the wilderness. Um, and I, Most of us are not imminently going to be killed. Um, there are places, of course, in the world that we should consider and be empathetic to that have that going on. Um, Ukraine and and places like that, that uh, across Africa and other places where this is a daily concern. How do I get water? You know, how do I stay safe? Those chemicals are really good for that. In a society where we can order food, we are you know, very safe on a whole, um, they can cause some problems. And so we run down those big three of uh, serotonin, where I like to start, like I said, oxytocin and dopamine. Um, there is a fourth that is a big uh, impact on us, and that's cortisol. And so it interplays with the big three. And so those kind of push back and forth. So serotonin, I start with because that is really weighing out your decisions. And so serotonin, we naturally don't want to get injured. That makes sense. Right. We want to survive. Right. Um, and so when we are presented with any opportunity, your brain quickly, without you even processing it in your prefrontal cortex, says, in my past or in my quick estimation, Am I likely to get injured or hurt or not succeed pursuing this opportunity? And so what they're finding out, at least in the more recent stuff I've read, is they 
They look at a lot of the pharmaceuticals that help people that have a lot of anxiety as serotonin does kind of split into two pieces. So it is, is it going to be a negative result or neutral or neutral or positive? Okay. And so there's actually two sides on that serotonin. Um, and the reason that I say it's first, and I think that that's pretty accurate from what I've read and watched is even if you imagine in the wild, we were going to get some food, you and I were, were close, but we were both hungry. The first calculation, we think it would be dopamine to seek and go grab it, which we'll cover later. But in reality, it is a real quick calculation of whether I can get it without Scott injuring me. And so I'm a faster, more persuasive, stronger, better fighter. Your brain is doing that regardless. And so if you don't think that's true, consider the last time you went to a social event. And you walked in the room and you immediately, no matter how much you think you don't rate yourself, mm -hmm. you rated yourself. Mm -hmm. You walked in the room and you looked around and you thought, hey, Already what are comparing. they wearing? Yeah, we're comparing. And yes. so your brain automatically is going good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Um, that's important to understand. And we'll talk a little further when you get in decision making why that's important. Because you know we don't have that fear of death that is imminent most of the time. Right. And so is that fear warranted in this situation or are there other factors that may overcome that, that fear? So that's one area where serotonin comes in and we'll probably circle back around with that. Um, so we, we see this opportunity in front of us. We weigh it out. We decide odds are it's an odds maker. Mm -hmm. It's a better. It bets. Okay. Um, and so the odds maker says we can go for it. Uh, dopamine kicks in. Uh, and so dopamine is a very powerful drug that a lot of your uh, narcotics, um, a right. lot of your, um, I think it is, is great, the work that Andrew Huberman has done. So if you all are going to look at the podcast to learn more about dopamine, he is uh, running a podcast on bringing science to the masses. And so he covers a wide variety of topics, but uh, dopamine is certainly one. And we'll reference him because he is a few different times because he is really doing a good job of gathering all the more recent studies, bringing them together into something that's more digestible, although some of his are, are longer than our ramblings. They go on for two or three hours because they're extremely complex. So if I, if I uh, trip up on one of my references, feel free to go visit him. He does it all day at Stanford as a neuroscience professor. Well, I think you've watched many of those Huberman videos several times. Because it, it, they are information dense, and you've got to watch them a couple of times to kind of tease out or discern out those important things. And what I think is so interesting about this whole subject of neurochemistry is, is what you're bringing forward. This is happening automatically. And so it's not very often that we are aware or conscious that this is happening in our brain. But as good leaders, if we understand the neurochemistry side of things, we actually can use it to our advantage to make better decisions. We can probably fight off some of those natural tendencies because we are aware of what's happening even unconsciously in our brain chemistry. So this is a great, interesting subject. I'm sure our, our, our viewers are probably going, why, why are we on this neurochemistry? I thought this was a business kind of framework, business discussion sort of podcast. And it's because it's so important to be aware of what's happening in our mind when we're making decisions. Because the more that we're aware, the better we can combat and the better decisions we can make. Well, so. it certainly is. And it's as a leader, once you make that calculation, which you hope you have calculated properly, and you decide to go forward, that dopamine level is really what right, so drives. The serotonin, the odds maker says it's worth yeah, it. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Right. And, and so um, we can get into more detail on what can influence those levers and how it weighs out the odds. But the dopamine is then what they call a seeking a lot of people uh, for a long time thought that it was a reward-driven chemical that was released in your brain. Studying rats, they thought that the rat hit the lever, dopamine went up because it wanted the actual food. Um, and so you can do some research online and find out more info on that. But the reality was the rat really was getting the dopamine on the anticipation of this pressing the lever will lead to food. Um, and so why is this important? Because you get mm. people in your organization and you get in the habit of Setting your final goal, your, your either your waypoint could be a one-year goal, a three-year goal, could be a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. That, in your mind, you start creating as that is the ultimate success. 
And so if you read a lot on growth mindsets, another uh, another book out there on that, really what you want to realign your dopamine on is focusing on any time you make positive steps or momentum towards a goal that you find worthy. So that's a tie-in to our, our why, our purpose, right. setting a really smart uh, goal out there that is, you know, maybe an inner immediate goal, um, but you can break that down and anything that moves you towards that. And if you recognize it, we talk about gap versus gain. So the way that works is, you know, if you're focused only on the pinnacle achievement, you will miss all the gain in between. And so your dopamine gets trained to a final peak, you know, grasping at a goal. Okay. Um, downside of that is you're more likely to quit. And you're less likely to have joy on the way there. And then the third kind of downside of that is most of the time in your mind, you've hyped your goal so much that when you get there, your natural downside of dopamine being released. Disappointment, is, disillusionment, yeah, that sort of it, thing. It is a much more steep drop right. and a potentially deeper drop because you have built up. Um, I think uh, Huberman gives an example of meals. Um, so I know this, you eat at a nice restaurant, but if you hype it up to all your friends, it's going to be the best ever. I've eaten here so many times, best ever. You go in there and it doesn't quite meet the mark. Huge disappointment. Right. And so the gap versus gain analogy, or analogy was your child, you're going to bring your child some candy. Well, your cat, instead, you told your child you're going to bring him a Snickers. And you failed to deliver the Snickers, so you supplement it with something else. What does the child immediately do? They become disappointed because they didn't get the Snickers. They didn't get the Snickers, exactly right. If you had, if you had said it as, a bit lower. hey, I'm going to get you a surprise or I'm going to get some candy so that they are getting a gain, any gain would have been a positive impact on the child. And so they have set a trigger that's a little bit off the kilter. So that's why, you know, dopamine is an important one. Dopamine is also regulated a lot as comparison to what we talked about in the past of pain. And so the pain versus pleasure principle. Yeah, we talked about that principle, yes. And so dopamine, if you imagine, which we'll cover a lot more later, the your natural kind of growth of a career. We talked about seasonality. You kind of you, you grow towards a goal, you get it. You have to do hard work and you get the next goal. You have to do right. hard work to get the next goal. Well, one of the things about dopamine is if you don't go through that down cycle, it limits how high up the upside is. And so there is a correlation between the pain and the release of dopamine. And so people that say, well, why don't you just give me the answer? Um, uh, why don't you do this for me? Well, in reality, you're lowering how much they get out of the actual journey and the growth that they have involved. So it's a tough thing to do as a parent, tough thing to do as a leader, is you want to give them enough clarity and information. And you know this by talking with your developing people below you, if you're a manager, if you're you know, a president, whatever it is, even if you're working with teammates. You want to give them enough so that they can succeed, but you want them to feel self-worth of they went through the hard work to actually accomplish it. Right. So that old adage, you know, give a man a fish or teach a man a fish scenario, right? You're, you're going to do them much more positive benefit by teaching them the fish because they go through some of that trial and adversity than you were just giving them the fish or giving them the answer. Right. And the reward is, is higher because they, they know they worked hard to achieve. Um, and so you, you know intuitively when you reach when you receive something that you didn't work hard, you kind of get a bad feeling like maybe I'm not worthy of receiving this. And so that's when you have got to consider whether you put in the hard work necessary, or if it was truly a gift, something you should be grateful for. Correct. Uh, one way to kind of stop that downward slide is immediately think of what you're going to do with that gift. So sort of a pay it forward. So instead of you really going, I didn't do enough for this, how am I going to take this? And obviously it fits with our uh, ProVantage and uh, Helmwise and all the Rosewood Company wide multiply your blessing. Take this thing that was given to you, whether you earned it or not, and make something better as a way to kind of offset that dip afterwards. Yeah, so after that receipt of that gift, you would naturally get a slight decline. But, but if you start thinking about it, how can I use this? It's now the seeking chemical. Dopamine kicks in again and takes you more upward trajectory. Yep. Take this item and I'm so going to seek a way to move seeking, it forward. Seeking something else. Yep. And so right. the cortisol kicks in um, after every time we metabolize or 
something happens okay. and it is kind of a warning sign, but that's not always. So there's, there's a couple of different ways you can impact that dopamine. There's several ways to make it go up, uh, a couple of ways to make it less impactful. Um, kind of the downside potentially, but I think it's great for leaders. It certainly has led to the human species discovering new things, developing new things as it is a one-time maximum hit. So if you repeat the same item over and over again, without breaking the cycle, the level of reward of dopamine chemically actually goes down. <clears throat> and so if you're not, if you think of it back to the goal setting, if you're not constantly looking for the next way to raise the bar or move to the next goal, and you want to stay static on a, I'll just keep getting the same reward, it's good enough. Right. I heard that saying, good right. enough. Well, one of the things you see out of people that are good enough people is, that a lot of times generalizes out into the other types of work because they've started lowering down their dopamine and then they need to go really face something that is a little more challenging and move it up and get that hit back up a little higher. So is that one of the reasons that employees become disenfranchised in an organization? If they keep doing the same thing, you know, making the widget every single time, because it's that repetition in reality, the dopamine levels aren't increasing and therefore that's causing them to become disillusioned? Uh, it is largely, and that's why setting goals, doing um, I would almost call it gamification of how you reward right. factors right. and different right. things, it's important to add on or have secondary rewards that go on to especially repetitious type work. And so you can, one, raise the bar, two, create other competitions, other reward systems, other things to kind of tie into that. So they are getting new, even though the actual work is repetitive, they right. have a new pursuit. Well, they can make a personal best, right? <laughs> they can do a personal best. Or last month, I'm going to get, you yeah, know, they can lower the month. number of uh, errors in a run right. of Correct. something on an assembly line. There's a lot of ways to move that, that forward. But the, you know, the repetition um, does lower the impact. Now, one, one way to bring it back, so if you've had cake every day for a while, cake is not good anymore. Um, I think that most people understand if you take a break from cake, and come back, you can actually get that hit again. And so that's uh, intermittent rewards, which is a big impact subject we could probably spend a whole other session on, but certainly is a big deal when you're a business leader is we love structured reward systems. We love tiered reward systems that you do X, you'll get Y. We do these rewards on a certain cadence because they're easy to plan around. In reality, they are not nearly the most powerful reward system, and that is more of the intermittent rewards, which are similar to gambling, uh, right. similar to you find people who love, uh, always laugh, fishing, golf, the bring you back shot you've heard in golf. Yes. The bring you back yes. shot is the, you know, I hit it 120 times a day because I'm terrible, but then I hit one really good, and it was amazing. Right. So then you go back, you play, you know, 12 of 18 holes, you're frustrated, hole 13 goes great, and you're like, this is amazing, I'm going to go do it again. Greatest game ever. Greatest game, uh, fishing, hunting. There's lots of uh, outdoor activities mainly that guys do. Um, shopping. I found the best deal. You found the best deal is I've been looking all over randomly. I came across a great deal. You won't believe it. Well, the random reward system is much more of a driver. And so a lot of this, we, we view it and go, why is that so? Well, think about out in nature if we were back into the, we'll go back a thousand years. And so we, we, we exhaust, if you exhaust a supply of food, this is where you go and you don't go seek new things, mm -hmm. then you end up running out and you could starve. And so they, they push, they push, they push, they push for new ways. Um, we did get a lot better when we moved, obviously, to agrarian society where we could farm. But then we also had to set goals again to keep us, keep us moving forward so that it, repetitive can be very dangerous also because if you think of animals in nature, if they get in a habit, what's likely to happen? They'll get eaten. <laughs> right. So there is a drive to move forward and to try new things. And so there's a lot of examples that are that are out there. You can look at on why that that's important. You, you mentioned the the benefit of intermittent or or time in between <clears throat> doing certain tasks, where it can get the fact that you haven't done it for a while, the eating cake scenario. You then get another good hit of dopamine. Is the research that you've read or have you found any period of time that needs to happen between one and the other? So uh, 
the period of time, your brain is actually pretty smart. So if you set a period of time, it knows you set oh. a period of time. Okay. And so there is a pretty, pretty. Uh, so it's that randomness that you just spoke about. Yeah. Once ago. you once you structure it, you have then eliminated randomness. Interesting. So, uh, Huberman, I'll give a shout out to him as well. He even advocated potentially flipping a coin. And so even if you did set a cadence to potentially do something, flip a coin to get the random yes, no, of whether you're going to get it or not. And so you're introducing it in between. Maybe another way to trick the brain into taking a little different approach. Um, so Yeah, so it, it, you, you triggered a lot of things in my mind about, yeah, because we do this in business. We have things at set intervals. Yep. You know, whether they're a weekly meeting, whether it is a QBR, there are these these intervals. And not that, you know, that interval is the only detriment to, to learning there, but you should have to start thinking, how is this affecting the brain? And so this is why we bring up neurochemistry into this particular podcast is because it's so important to becoming a better leader. And so the more we know, the better decision makers we can be. Well, and let's circle back on the leadership part of the pain versus pleasure. And in this sense, we're talking about the amount of work necessary to reach that satisfaction of dopamine. Um, so that also carries over to what I mentioned is you see it obvious in drugs. Most people understand you've heard that you'll never get the same high as the first high. Mm. But I don't think what they, the studies have shown most people realize is that also works to, you know, a spoiled child syndrome. And so and it also is seeming to work a lot into the addiction to devices of I need a hit. I'll flip to another show. I'll, I'll watch another funny film. You know, I'll watch right. Chive all day or whatever <laughs> your you yes. whatever your uh, people are videos. great or people are awesome. So yes. we'll just watch it, yes. watch it, watch it, and it starts losing its uh, its impact and its positivity. What we're doing is not only lowering the dopamine because of the repetitive nature. When you don't have the pain, you're actually lowering your baseline. So if we make an artificial baseline of ten instead of zero. If you go through a pain and gain scenario, you get the hit that's good, okay. and you get a slight increase in your baseline. Okay. You go on another pain, and you go for the next peak, which takes you through another valley to the next peak. You get a refreshed big hit of dopamine, and you get a slight bump in baseline. And so you can build this up over time. And so it, it has limits, of course, but it will build up. The real part of the no pain part that is bad is you actually start taking it from a 10 downward. And so if you continually engage in items that you do not have to go through any hard work to get it or any pain or any, any amount of suffering, whatever you want to call it, training, learning, studying, we just give you the info. We give you the fish. Sure. You don't, not only do you get less dopamine on the upside, you start lowering your baseline. And so then what I've noticed even in my young children is they watch enough iPad, especially when they were very young, they would watch other kids play with toys they had and wouldn't even have the desire to get off of the device and play with their own toy. that act. They had the toy that that kid was receiving joy. So they got the hit. They didn't have to play the game. They didn't have to set up to get, find some another child to play right. with, which is a, sure. an oxytocin discussion, which we'll move to that in a minute. But mm -hmm. um, they didn't have to do any of that. They just got to watch the reward of opening the prize, opening the prize, opening the prize, getting the win. Well, eventually that baseline lowers so much, they won't even do the things they enjoy. And so there are two, two things there that, you know, we're not giving them enough pain to get full potential of their dopamine and right. we are potentially also lowering their baseline dopamine and joy as a as a uh, and when i use joy lots of definitions you want to go and look at it but i compare uh, joy and happiness to the difference in weather and climate and so joy i take more of a climate so how is your overall mood how are you closer okay. to fulfillment and kind of how your overall state is happiness i analogize much more to the daily weather you know, it can be rainy. Does that mean that you have a rainy disposition? Those are not the same. And so that's what I talk about when I'm, I'm comparing the two. So why does this matter as a leader? It matters a ton. It is your job to weigh out options, your job to keep yourself motivated, your job to lay out options clearly and make sure your people below you are considering all the options 
your job to set up situations where they can build their motivation and their self-esteem and their confidence. And so these are areas that you impact as a leader. Um, the, the third one that we have in there that we hadn't talked about much is, is oxytocin. And so that is the desire to herd. And herd. So, yeah, we want, a, we want a group. We want a group together. You know, what's better than one of us is two of us. And so okay. um, if you find someone else you have commonality with, either purpose, similarity, and you have a shared togetherness, you get a little hit of this is good. It's a positive chemical. makes you feel good. Conversely, you know, if you think of animals, you watch National Geographic out in a herd, one of them gets off to the side. That bad feeling is the cortisol that we hadn't spent much time on kicking in going, hey, wait a minute. I need to get back in this group. So it serves a great purpose if you're a gazelle or antelope out on the plains or Cape buffalo of, hey, stay with your group, stay with your group. Um, also works well, as we talked about, as, you know, back in caveman days, a lot easier to stay alive when there are a group of them together as opposed to individuals. Right. And so uh, safety, defense, again, reproduction, uh, food gathering, you share that load, and so that's important. In business, why is this important? should be obvious unless you have a single sole proprietor operation, you need teamwork. Right. And so how do you build teamwork? How do you build up oxytocin events? How do you build up the, the desire to bond? And so you need to be aware of the need to create environments where they can work together. Um, you know, studies have shown the best way to really build bonding among groups that may be either contentious or just don't know each other or maybe different backgrounds um, is to get a shared goal where you both have to work together to fix something or accomplish something. So not just a social event, not just bring them together and let's hang out. You actually have a pursuit. So kind of take that back. It's a group example of the dopamine cycle. So together, Scott and I need to come up with a way to launch Helmwise, do these podcasts. What are we going to work on? So we have together started through the pain cycle back up. So we're getting a hit of both of those and it, it builds that team effort together. So again, it's important as a leader to build events where you're working with your team, important to get your team to work together. So that that's a big impact on oxytocin. So oxytocin is the hurting, dopamine is the seeking, and serotonin is the sort of the odds maker. Correct. Right. I was reading a book by Simon Sinek. It was called Leaders Eat Last. And he talks about those mm -hmm. chemicals. At least he talks about dopamine, serotonin. He talks about uh, oxytocin. And he referred to them as selfish and selfless chemicals. What are your thoughts about that? He thinks serotonin and oxytocin are selfless, maybe because it has that people component to it. Whereas dopamine and the other chemical that he covered at that time was endorphins, those are selfish because it was all about the individual. Is is that what you've seen in some of your research as well? No, I, I would have to okay differ slightly. That's the reason I brought it up. <laughs> so I would differ slightly uh, because I'll give you kind of a, a very good example, you know, of, of or different examples of how that would potentially play out. And and so again, this is. A reason I think it's so important to make sure that we pursue a worthy why and we have what I would call noble values, good values, because in us, these things are always playing. And so if, if serotonin's out there, we think the odds are bad or we think we get, in, get injured, we get that cortisol hit. So it's mm -hmm. It feels bad. Well, when something feels bad, if we feel we don't have oxytocin away from the group, um, oxytocin or uh, excuse me cortisol also kicks in if things are are too good too calm and you feel bad and so another area as a leader you need to be real careful is not working hard enough yeah <laughs> do you really feel bad or is that just your animal brain saying wait yeah. a minute things are not going so you know they're calm you need to take a little time to be grateful show some praise find sure. some other things to do uh, but back to your question on whether it's selfish or not Dopamine is also a hit, like I said, when we are seeking new ways to do things with a purpose in mind. Mm. And so when, I, when you have a good why out there and you're doing it 
within a set of values you have imposed on yourself and you have expressed out in the public to be held against, and the public being put them in writing, shared them with your team, shared them within your company, um, and you're willing to self-impose those on, on you, that dopamine drive is actually for us to fulfill our shared purpose. Yes, you want your personal purpose to align with the shared purpose because it builds you know, consistency and authentic leaders, but um, I don't think dopamine, dopamine has driven scientists, astronauts, explorers, doctors. Um, you know, it would be, I think, a overly optimistic view to think they did that just for society. Uh, but right. I also think, on the other hand, part of their reward and part of their teams that they assembled to go Shackleton, uh, Shackleford, going to Shackleton, Shackleton, mm-hmm. excuse me, going to on his polar adventures. It was still a group. Yeah. And dopamine was a huge driver. You know, the purported advertisement that you're not likely to return, that's whether right. that's true yes. or not. Yeah, very, Obviously, very if famous. you think you're not likely to return, that was kind of a selfish, self-fulfilling. So I don't disagree with that part. But when you align that with a purpose that is what I would I would consider kind of worthy, then you're able to move the needle pretty heavily in the right direction. Um, serotonin. I'm half and half on that one. Uh, serotonin also is why you walk in the room and you think you're better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so why you why you go to buy nicer clothes, uh, why you sometimes go to the gym to look better than the other person, which is kind of can be ego, can always go all the way back to being an animal and wanting to be able to mate. Yeah. So there is a, a ranking. And so serotonin is another one. Your brain is going to rank no matter what. And so I think it is funny, and it is actually in this book, when you see the you know, capitalism, chasing money, all these things, that's what creates this desire to rank and to be better. And it's like, no, that, that's been there. It's in your brain, in your chemicals, in animals' chemicals, not just humans, to rank all the time. And I don't think we're going to be able to, well, the way it works in your brain, that calculations happen before you've even thought about it. So your prefrontal cortex hasn't kicked in. Now you can override it through a good, good direction, but... So let's take that ranking. So what do you do when you're always looking around the room and you're you are ranking? You're ranking no matter whether you want to admit it or not. Again, good personal values, a good purpose in your life is hey, let's rank towards something that's actually good. Like let's pursue who can let's do a blood drive, let's do a food collection, let's do a um, the trick there is it doesn't take long to where it does become selfish because then you superimpose or swap out from the, you know, I like the Indiana Jones where he swaps out the, you know, the idol for the, the sand, idol bag for of the sand. bag of sand. Well, yeah. you know, it is very tempting as a leader, as a captain to, we're pursuing this worthy goal. I want to, you know, toys for tots, uh, you know, it named the, the charity. And then all of a sudden it stopped being the charity and it's about your ego of, I want the reward. I, it became an I. Right. And so right. serotonin, I, I would argue, can pretty quickly make you as selfish as uh, dopamine can. Um, and so when that ranking system moves from survival, safety, pursuit of things that aren't going to harm you, pursuit of things that are good to uh, you know, narcissistic, sociopathic type of sure. ranking and moving yourself up, it's pretty easy to swap that out. So we, we hear a lot about business that a lot at times they compare business to sports, you know, team oriented nature. You need a quarterback. You've got to commit to the team, those sort of things. And, you know, we also know what drives athletes is competition. So is competition really kind of a serotonin hit because the competition is the, the ranking that they're doing against somebody else? Yeah, you trigger a, a an influence that is a lot more than the three chemicals. I mean, certainly okay. if you go and run down, uh, you know, watch Huberman, read a lot of the data that's out there, studies that are out there, it would be really nice and simplistic to say serotonin plays a big part in love, which it does. But this is coming from your brain, not so much from your gut, and there's a lot of technical parts of that. Um, competition, the pursuit of that, your real reward in, in competition, I think what sports teach you is 
will you kind of overcome that ranking that says you might not make it? And so if you think of your ultimate high, you set a goal. Big Harry Audacious mm. goal is it's called Audacious and Harry because if you actually did a odds maker calculation in your brain on serotonin, you would probably say, I'm not going to make I'm it. I'm not going to make it, yeah. So then you cross over into areas that I know neuroscientists and people don't like to acknowledge as faith, although they can measure faith's impact on increasing your willingness to embark on those adventures, increasing your neuroplasticity. They can see the impacts of it. That's a lot of debates. I'll let everybody else get into how faith we certainly covered as important. That's not necessarily just religious faith. That's faith in a cause, faith in a a family member, faith faith in in a teammate, somebody who you have oxytocin with that you joined up with. So uh, faith to me is when you, you make that calculation, you're not sure of the outcome and you step out into the unknown. And so I think sports plays a lot into that. Certainly sports is playing on hard work. There's a lot of practice. Everybody thinks that, you know, having played some sports in the college and then known a lot of people that went and played at the professional level, you know, it's not Sunday and game time. It's the a zillion hours, no different than, than the military you put into food, sleep, nutrition, diet, training, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, so there is a big amount of, of pain that goes into that success that they're pursuing. Um, also, obviously, sports is is a uh, intermittent reward. So you play that game, you play the game because you're not sure who's going to win. So obviously, that's why you get excited about winning is not just all that. So you mix a lot of things together. It's a confluence of, of different items that come in on, on sports and, and how those chemicals play out. Yeah, it sounds that a lot of things that we've talked about in the earlier podcasts, having a, a North Star or a why, uh, setting a BHAG, we talk about the importance of teamwork and communicating with your team and getting alignment and orientation. In reality, when I start thinking about those those actions, there's actually a trace back to each of these chemicals, right? And those things are important because it triggers those chemicals in the brain. And that's why it's important. It's, everyone says, well, we must have a why. We must have a North Star. Well, the reason we need the why of the North Star is because of these chemicals in our brain that are going to motivate us to move forward to embark on that journey, to buy in, to go through pain, all of those other elements of that cycle. And so that's why I think it's so interesting in business is that we we go out there, we find the latest book, we find the latest framework, and we say we need to do these things. But we don't understand the underlying cause on why we're doing those things. Easy to say, but why does it work? Why does it work when we set a goal? Why does it work when we come together as a team and we set a a joint mission, we collaborate and we work together in, in, in the near harmony to try to achieve something that we couldn't achieve on our own. It's these chemicals that work, these primal chemicals from way back in the days of survival that are actually in play today, even in, in a time of, of austerity, uh, uh, prosperity and the fact that we don't have to worry about food, but the very primal things that prompted us to go look for food are things that are prompting us to go achieve goals. So very, very interesting on how all this comes together. Well, let's let, let's take those examples and then let's talk about that later again. So we, we, we come up with our framework, our business framework, and then we don't see the results fast enough and what do we want to do? We switch. Yeah. And do we switch because we don't, because it's having a negative impact or we switch because it's not going forward fast enough? Or we just haven't even given it enough time. And so that brings the kind of back to cortisol, and I want to cover that a little more because, you know, that defense system was great for survival. What we're able to do with our prefrontal cortex is take physical needs that were, again, the reproduction, safety, food, and replace them with a in a social setting. And so we get that calm. We've implemented a new system. We start out a new year. It's a, it's a new year now. Everything is calm, and then we start looking around going, wow, something what's going on and again that makes sense on the plains if you if you're a deer antelope whatever gazelle on the plane eating grass and everything is good and you just stay in the mode of everything's good and don't look up and check your surroundings you'll get eaten by you'll the lion by the lion there you go and so there is a natural reason to have that in reality we want to apply that to business frameworks things that we have going on and so you're 
your relationship might be going well, business might be going well, and all of a sudden you get this bad bad feeling, like the waiting. I heard someone say they're waiting on the two before to come and you know knock them in the back well, of the head. Yeah, that's that drop. feeling. The other yeah. shoe to drop. That's that's what they're asking about. So that's one problem is it may cause you to switch or abandon things that you have going on prematurely. So you need to think in your head. You know, when that triggers, have a methodology to do a quick assessment. Are we still in alignment with what we believe? You know, are we aligning the values we have? Are we aligning the goal we have? Are we making progress towards that goal or at least preparing to make progress towards that goal? Trigger that dopamine on that progress instead of just the goal. And then you can kind of shut that cortisol down, kick down and say, all right, we're good. Um, another negative of cortisol is cynicism. And that, I would say, is the the largest part of, uh, again, this book uh, that I think is really good, Science of Positivity. And, and so the, the real thesis there is when that problem is actually you. And so we talked about you or your organization as the problem. Right. And so we talked about humility. We've talked about separate uh, know reflection. Yourself, know your organization. We've talked right. about sacrificing things that you're doing. Well, when you get that hit and you know that cortisol tells you that there is a problem, and then you look at that and you go, well, yeah, there's a problem, but look what the Fed rate just did. Look what my competitor just did. Look at Gen Z, millennials, whatever else. Uh, look at XYZ leader. Our competitors are doing this and that. There may be validity to that, but what you're able to do is that turns off the alarm in your head. Right. That was saying you have a problem. Now you said that they have a problem. Correct. And then the really bad thing you can do in that cycle is I can study up on it, and then I can call up Scott, and we can have a conversation on, you know, the new labor laws are really messing up, you know, 1099s in California. Isn't that right, Scott? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So now what did I just do? One, I showed him how smart I was, so I got my <laughs> serotonin hit. Right. So my cortisol's gone. I got a good serotonin hit. Then I just grouped up with Scott, so I got an oxytocin Tocin, hit. Yep, exactly right. So now I'm feeling really good. Now we're going to go tell the rest of the team about how bad it is, and we're going to explain to everybody how bad all these outside cynical things are that we probably don't have control. Again, the ocean. And so then what do we get? We prepared a meeting. We're ready to go. We got dopamine because we yeah. made a movement towards doing something. towards doing something, yeah. And so we're excited. So then what happens we burn up all those nice chemicals? Cortisol hits again because you didn't fix the problem you had. Yeah. And so then what do you do? Start looking for another. You find yeah. another. And so right. our brain is another able way to, to do get this. To, to stem the cortisol. which I don't like that feeling. And so that, that alarm gets louder and louder and louder. Um, and and your, your body will demand a response. Right. Um, and so cynicism is a way to set that off. And then the problem is if you continue to not self-reflect, not sacrifice something you're doing in the past that may have worked, that alarm will go off as soon as you burn up that cycle. Um, what will also happen is you, know, you can get that cortisol hit that will spin that cycle even faster is we grew up, we group up, and then Antonio that works with us, he gets in our group and he knows more than I do. Well, now all of a sudden my ranking just went down. Right. And so... The other downside of why I think serotonin is not so much a always positive group uh, feeling is when you see your status start to drop, then you want to pull out of the group because now you're worried the group doesn't like you anymore and you're the one that's not in charge anymore. So now you can pull out and you can say, well, that's the group's fault. And then guess what you can do? Now you can blame the group. Then you can find a new friend who can blame the group. And you can just right. play this game over and over and over again. And we see this a ton. We see it a lot. And, and, and so I will stray a little bit into society today when there's a new emergency, a new problem, a new catastrophe once a week. And you can go join the new group to raise the alarm bell, group up on it, tell everybody else how much you're doing on behalf of the new calls and how much they're not doing. You can raise your rank. You can get your dopamine. You can get your new group. That kind of flames out because you figure out that your problems still exist. Right. And then you need to go spin the cycle up again. So we do it in business all the time. What do we do? Let's let's be the boss that goes and, you know, gets on scheduling, accounting, HR, whatever it is, because we had a bad performance at a at a client. Or maybe 
you brought on that client and you onboarded them with a bad scope of work. You didn't, didn't build out the project properly. Well, I'll tell you what we can do. Let's go blame the people that executed the project. Right. And if that doesn't work, we'll blame the client. And sometimes it's accurate. So I want to be clear that those triggers are useful in raising the alarm so that you go search for the problem. What is not useful is when you get in the cynicism cycle of you refuse to look at yourself or you raise an alarm that is a false alarm and you start taking action that you don't need to take because you hadn't actually allowed your team to adopt a habit and you've done a lot of research on how many times it takes to develop a habit. Sure. You certainly are trained yeah. and certified in change management, ADCAR, the amount of time it takes to actually implement something going forward. And so we, we get in a little bit of a habit of we'll just rapid fire. And so certainly you have seen coworkers and leaders that the next new thing, the next new thing, and they're just bam, 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 bam. And rapid fire is, you know, maybe they got that hit and it wasn't quite going as fast as they thought or things were going fine. It just wasn't, you know, in their control or maybe someone else took the lead and they kind of went down in ranking. So I bring these up, you know, largely just to, you know, the defense against them is really awareness. So the, the offense to make them better is certainly a topic we can spend some time on, but would take a while, and, and Huberman does an excellent job. You, we will certainly do a, a discussion on gratitude, love, faith, sure. hope, and optimism are great defenses against all these. And that's actually, if you read read the uh, Positive Psychology book, that's basically what it boils down to. Um, certainly we've done a lot of reading here on the Stoics. You actually read the Stoics and kind of their way of reframing the world and obstacles and whether things are good or bad are a lot to gratitude, hope, finding wills and ways and optimism that you can, whatever problem you have is not a permanent problem and you can find ways to get around it. And so the, the mind trick they play actually does play at a chemical level and it is positive in that way. So. Yes, I was thinking about it, Chan. I was going to ask the, you know, I'm the operations person, so I want to always want the answer, right? How do I make this how do you put this in practice? How do I use this in my day-to-day? -day? How do I help the team become more efficient, more effective, et cetera? But then I realized that what we're here to do today is that first step of awareness. Because as we continue the podcast series, we'll talk about you know, things and issues that captains and crews encounter. And as we talk about the steps and the tools and the methodologies that are out there to help them combat those situations or address those situations, we can now refer back to neurochemistry and say, right, so let's remember our neurochemistry and how may that be playing into this situation so that as we are evaluating and trying to make better decisions, we do it from a well-informed state. And I think that's what's so important about this particular session is this understanding, this foundation setting, this awareness of, of neurochemistry, because by understanding that, we'll be able to use it, understand it, and leverage it in some cases to the betterment of the organization. Yeah, I wrote out a few um, questions you can ask yourself when you go down this okay. this neurochemical kind of questionnaire. And it really is for awareness, but you know, number one, <clears throat> you don't need to become a neuroscientist, but I do think that it is wise for you to have at least a flashcard knowledge of the main chemicals, what triggers them, and kind of the attributes of kind of how you respond to them. So first question is what neurochemical is likely working in your brain? Why do I feel this way? Second one is how does it impact your emotions, your thinking, or actions? And so if you, if you go back to, again, is it a ranking? You feel like you dropped in a ranking? Are you pursuing something for a good purpose? Or is it you feel like you're getting left out of a group or does it feel like you're not making progress towards your goal? You know, in that order, that would be serotonin, oxytocin, and dopamine. So what, how does it generally manifest in your brain? Um, and then next, is it that chemical response appropriate for the given situation? Again, it, it works. So don't confuse what I'm saying. It works to benefit the evolution of the species. It works in nature. It works often in society, and, and we're transferring these over into you know, social situations, sometimes to the detriment, but you need to make sure, is it appropriate for the situation? And so next is, is the situation itself correctly identified? And so what I mean by that is, 
did you substitute in a distraction? So did you substitute in a cynical, you know, take that self-reflection. Did you substitute that in? Next is, did you substitute the purpose? So you started out with a good goal. When we go back to our, our metaphor, Helmwise, if you, you set a waypoint that's your next waypoint, you kind of went this way because the ocean was a little smoother. So I'm just going to keep going this way. So make sure you, you're you back online to where you're trying to go. Orient. Orient line. yourself back up. So you got to get that and align your group back on it. Next one we spoke about earlier is the example of doing great charity work. You know, trying to be an outreach person, something we are, you know, really based our whole why around is multiplying blessings. And certainly that goes out into philanthropy is have you perverted the why and the purpose for selfish reasons? So now it's about you, not about the team, not about the company, not about the calls, not about the need of others. You have swapped it out and now it's your narcissism or your you know, sociopathic or your fear, which is a, you know one I credit a lot of this to is fear of wanting to actually self-reflect. And then lastly, which we haven't spent much time on, on this section, at least a couple more options, so I shouldn't say not lastly, but is it a natural droop? So these chemicals actually burn up pretty fast in your brain. That high doesn't last long. That cycle is pain versus pleasure, pain versus pleasure. You enter a group, that's a great feeling. You've been in a group a while, you get back together, it's not as great of a feeling. That's a natural, that does not mean something's wrong with the group. Now maybe you need to go with new adventures, maybe you need to come up with those reward systems that make the grouping exciting again, but it's not a negative. That's a natural droop. Um, and so same thing with with ranking, you know, you did something great. You had an accomplishment. You're number one on the team. Well, you know, we like to give recognition around here. We call it random recognition. And so one of the things we like to do is when they exhibit a behavior that is going towards one of our values. So they might not be the, you know, one of the big important things on that is you don't have to get the number one star. You get the person who's showing that spark, that drive towards it. Well, if their immediate response is they feel good because they got that serotonin, they, they rose the ranks, we celebrated them. Well, they need to understand that will fade away. That doesn't mean they're less of a person or they are not still valuable. That's the natural droop that I'm talking about even in serotonin. So that comes along. Um, fifth thing is, should you override the chemicals tendency? Ooh. So, we so can, this is we where you do override. have to, you have to use your prefrontal cortex and you need to decide. And, and again, I think that you know in your heart whether your pursuit is worthy and whether you're doing it the right way. Um, and so I do think in your heart is not enough. I do think you need to put them again out as values and a purpose so that others can hold you accountable to it. Um, but when your tendency starts interfering with something that you know is the right way to do it, is it the right way to steal someone else's glory? Is it always the right way to show you're the best? Is it better sometimes to pass the ball as opposed to be the uh, number one every single time? Has to school. You have to make that decision. And so, you know, of course, certainly there's people watching. There's evolutionary reason why people group and give other rewards but it is interesting that if you dominate all the time you will likely not lead for very long and, and you might lead all the way to success in business but you'll always be watching your back because everyone's gunning for taking you down and so um, overriding it you have the ability to take that natural tendency and decide that you want to redirect it but i think that'll be hard to do if you don't understand the chemicals that are at play uh, counter well, you wouldn't even know <laughs> to redirect because you didn't exactly it's just me that's what people say that's right. just how i am yeah well that's just how animals are, are I, you think gonna... I think i said that this morning <laughs> yeah well I've, I've had some very blunt discussions which is uh you haven't figured out on the podcast it's pretty yeah. normal for me but you know are you more than an animal yeah. it's really the question and so understand that may be your predisposition what are you going to do about it and that's my last one should you deploy a counter defensive so what's your countermeasure and so countermeasure to that we talked about was that um, really start learning the what we call clinical definitions of gratitude, you know, love, faith, hope, and optimism. 
read up on it. You'll see how it can extend. Some of your highs can soften some of your, you know, your drops and maybe take that trough, a little hit out of that trough also can really help you build your own, raise all your level. Good gratitude practice can raise all three of those big chemicals we just mentioned. It can raise dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, can raise it to the level that pharmaceuticals and exercise can. So a good gratitude practice, which we'll cover in, in later on sessions, will help with that. Um, a methodology. So this is where one you'll definitely like, Scott, is a discipline. Get a methodology to quickly walk through what you're feeling. And so uh, Helm-wise, we have laid out some what we call infinity loops, which are just a constant circle back through that we've spoken about. Of you know, I've mentioned it a bunch today, but not just your values, your why, your purpose, kind of that self-examination of your humility and self-reflection. Mm -hmm. Then go over and take a quick look at is this productive towards my career, my business, the family I want to have, the friendships I want to have, and discipline yourself on that. But you can get in that habit of let's take just a quick, I've been triggered, quick survey. What's going on? Quick survey. Am I in alignment with all those? Am I in alignment with what I wanted to do in this business setting, in what we said was a great relationship? Right. Is it in within relationship with your children and so that's again why we spend so much time on purpose because how do you know if it's the way you wanted your marriage to be the way you wanted your friendship to be if you haven't set out the expectations and so but develop a methodology to quickly go through it is really the way to look at those love methodologies that's that's always good Chandler that piece of what you just went over was was gold it really was because I think of all the background that you set, you laid in some good examples, but then you kind of broke it down into how do you practically use this information? Do you have those written down where you can just go through those steps again, just to, so that we can reinforce what so, our viewers or listeners? Yep, certainly. Identify the chemical. So okay. it, it needs a baseline understanding. They're not a bunch of them. And again, get them at kind of a flashcard level of, of knowledge. Understand the impact should be on that to your emotions, your thinking, and your actions. Um, take an assessment, which we talked about the methodology of, is that chemical appropriate for the situation? So when you get that hit that's good in the survival of the kind of more ancient world, now you're in a social setting, is this appropriate? Or are you just triggering something that is, you know, you don't need to outdo every male in the room to get a mate anymore because we're not in nature with clubs. Like we can... We have social settings, we have social media, we have online dating, we have a million ways to find it. So you can kind of look at that. Um, is the situation correctly identified? So again, did you substitute it with cynicism? Is it in alignment with your why and purpose? Uh, have you perverted the why and purpose? So you kind of co-opted it for your own, you know, feeling of, of superiority or happiness. And so you're no longer actually going together with what you are aligned, supposedly aligned and rallying around. Um, and is it just a natural droop so that hit comes with a downside that's inevitable and so look at that do you need to override it again that's right. back to the social setting and then can you deploy that that counter defensive and that is the gratitude um, love faith hope and optimism um, we'll cover that it is very important because if you go googling it uh, feel free a lot of what's out there is uh, happy psychology again Huberman has jumped on the uh, gratitude side, there is a lot of information on what is what we call realistic, more of a clinical definition of those items, but they are important. And then the methodology of just take that assessment quickly. Absolutely. So don't use chat GPT in this particular case. It may be useful. I haven't actually checked it. Well, I think see, you see how to. it uh, how it plays yes. out. But I, I would I think I would, your prompt or query would have to say in accordance with. You know, well, even that's hard to Ubi do. Men, so, so I think that others. if you uh, there's a short clip with Joe Rogan and, and Huberman that you all can look up that um, he asked one of the biggest surprises since he started his podcast, and it was when he went back and revisited the actual data studies and summarized up to 2021 the info on gratitude, and so it didn't didn't discredit all of what was out there, but it showed there was a much more potent and potentially useful way to express gratitude that if you went and just you know, went down what you found on Google, 
you would have a hard time getting it. So some, some hard research is important in these areas because it gets a little too much into rainbows and puppy sure. dogs and sure and those types of sure. things. So an information dense session today, Chandler. Anything you want to do before we wrap? Any other pieces you want to put a bow around when it comes to these four chemicals? Because I'm putting cortisol in there as well. No, cortisol is important and certainly is, is necessary. And so again, that's the alarm bell that you will, your body will make you respond to. And so, and your brain can substitute. And so it is one to watch out for. But overall, they're amazing. They actually, they work really well. I mean, you need to appreciate how they worked well to evolve human beings and civilization, society, and then how as we become more modern world, they can become twisted and we can and find sure. ways to manifest items that aren't there. Um, and so that's just how our brains work and, and we need to find a way to point them towards something useful, a good cause with some good values, understand when they are manipulating us and we're not manipulating them. Excellent. Excellent. So that's going to do it for today. We want to thank our listeners or viewers for joining us on podcast number six of the Powerhouse Perspective. A very information but dense but also very, very important session today with Chandler. And please join us for our next session where we'll start applying some of this neurochemistry as we make better decisions on our journey as a Helmwise captain.